Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here to discuss possibilities with disabilities. Talking about the book, The Blind Advantage, How Going Blind Made Me a Stronger Principal and How Including Children with Disabilities Made Our School Better for Everyone. We recently caught up with the author Bill Henderson, an educator in the Boston Public Schools for the past 36 years over the phone. I'm curious, Bill, why don't we start when you're 12 years old and you learn about your, you're diagnosed with your eye disease. Can you just bring us back to the possibility of going blind and, and how that felt? Well, I think when I was 12, what I was most disappointed was my father told me I wasn't going to be a, a professional football player and play quarterback. Um, at that point, they didn't think I was going to be going mostly blind till I was in my 60s, but that I might, because of uh, not the keenest uh, or not the most advanced peripheral vision, wasn't going to be able to play um, professional football. So that's basically all I felt then, and I was angry, you know, because, you know, that's what I thought I was going to be when I was 12. Tell us a little bit about why you chose education and a career in, in teaching, and eventually we'll get to why you became principal. Well, I was the oldest of four brothers, and one of the older kids in my particular neighborhood, and when I was in high school, I worked at some camps as a counselor, and then when I was in college, I did some work in the New Haven Public Schools, some tutoring and some group work. So um, I, I learned to speak Spanish, uh, both studying at college and doing earthquake relief in Peru. And at the time in Boston, they had a, I was, thought I was going to be going to Chile in the fall of 1973, but they had all the political turmoil there. I fell in love. I stayed in Boston. And they needed folks who could speak Spanish, who could work in school. So that's how I started as a teacher. When did, when did you start really feeling the loss of vision in terms of affecting either positive or negative uh, your professionalism? Well, initially it was um, mostly negative, and it was uh, little things, because I was very active when I taught middle school um, in Dorchester, and I was the coach of the track team involved with student government. I taught a lot of different subjects in English and Spanish. Uh, when students were writing things either in a pencil and they didn't press down too hard, or the um, newspaper print was a little bit fuzzy, or I didn't have the best lighting. Sometimes I had to struggle a little bit to see some of the small or fuzzy print. Also, when I was writing on the chalkboard, sometimes if it were a little bit dirty and dusty, I'd write over something I'd already written. And then when I was escorting students to different parts of the school and keeping an eye on them, I was fine watching them. But because of lack of peripheral vision, I would sometimes bump into things myself. So I had some minimal visual difficulties. And that's when I went for advice from an, an education administrator. My, I had already had an eye doctor tell me to get out of education. I thought he was wrong about my vision getting worse and wrong advice. And then this um, administrator in the Boston Public Schools asked me how long I'd been working. I told him seven years. That perked him up. And then that's when he said, um, why don't you go for disability retirement? Wow. So, yeah, I guess on the, on the back of your book, it's in big, bold print. Someone told you, you should get out of education. Uh, that's right. They wanted to get me out. But they, they were just two people. And I, they weren't mean people. They were just misinformed. Actually, they're very intelligent folks. But they had never had the experience of being with people who had disabilities themselves or people who were blind and really had um, were ignorant about the possibilities and potential of individuals. 
I had a lot of support from families and friends. There were many other colleagues in the Boston Public Schools who were encouraging and uh, gave me opportunities. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, um, and this was really very critical, I started meeting and joining groups with other people who were blind and visually impaired, and they're, you know, large consumer groups, the Federation of the Blind, American Council of the Blind, groups here in Boston and nationally. Um, that's where I learned there are national associations of blind teachers and blind folks involved in every uh, walk of life. Well, the cover of the book, it, it has some very provocative language in the sense that it says, how going blind made me a stronger principal. What do you mean by that? Well, I think, you know, when people in life have challenges and all of us face challenges and adversity and bad advice, there are um, two ways of, of dealing with that. Either you kind of succumb to the challenge and the adversity and you let it overpower you, or, and, and I'm not saying I, would, I didn't conquer blindness, I didn't take it away, although initially I had hoped and, and thought I could do that, but uh, basically you, you learn to, to deal with it. And I, and I say like sometimes swimming in a strong ocean current, you can't fight against it, but you've got to go with it, but you want to also go where you need to go. And I think um, because of the fact uh, that I had gone blind and, and those experts reactions to me telling me get out, I was definitely more determined to uh, be successful and get out there in life and be a good teacher and educator and a principal. Um, and, you know, and then it gave me a different vision, uh, the vision that there are different ways. I had learned how to read and write differently, compute differently, walk differently. Um, so a lot of things in my life were changing, but that experience also gave me a sensitivity to others that there are many other students that don't learn in the traditional or the perceived typical way. And, uh, and I started to, and needed to use technology, enjoyed using the arts as a way of learning and expressing information, being engaged. And, and those are things that helped me. I certainly became more organized, uh, knowing where I put things down, um, doing my schedule, you know, arranging rides for myself and with other people, being a little more punctual and, and, and organized where I keep information and, and dates and phone numbers and things like that. But the, the biggest gift, I think, of learning to uh, not be um, omnipotent or omniscient, uh, because as a, a blind principal, I needed help more. I needed to ask help for people to read things to me, show me where things were, describe things to me, uh, tell me some things that were going on that I wasn't able to decipher, uh, you know, the cleanliness of the cafeteria floor, the, um, the appearance of, of the charts outside the room and some of the interactions. And so my um, collaborating with students, with, with staff, uh, with parents, here I was asking help of them, but at the same time that I was not only asking, and in the case of students and staff, you know, requesting them to work at high levels and high standards. So I think the philosophy for me is that we all have things to give and we all have things that we need help with. And um, I, I be, became more sensitive that I needed some help, but also the expectations that I needed to be helpful to people. And so kind of do what you can, do the best you can, and figure out how you contribute.
a lot of criticism of charter schools is that a lot of times they will not often include students with disabilities and um, your school uh, includes children of all different abilities and in the cover says uh, how including children with disabilities made our school better for everyone can you give a little bit more explanation about w what you mean by that yeah well first and a comment with charter schools there are some individual charter schools that are um, doing a better job at accepting kids with disabilities. But as a whole, and if you look at the data as a whole, both here in Massachusetts and around the country, they have not taken their fair share of students. And what I would say to them, and I'd say to others, that when you um, involve in your class some kids with significant intellectual disabilities, multiple disabilities, sensory disabilities, um, you know, uh, kids with ADHD and learning disabilities, a number of things have to change. And first of all, your staff, your community, parents, and the students themselves have to be more determined that everybody's going to learn and succeed. It's a little bit extra effort and energy because there are a lot of people there that think that it's not going to work and some kids aren't going to do well and the kids without disabilities may not do well. So you have to have that little extra edge, that grit, which I think is important um, in for uh, overcoming some obstacles in sustaining the effort. Also, I mentioned the vision. Again, um, when we're learning history, many different ways of doing it. Yes, some are reading about it in print. Some are using um, computers where they can both see and hear it, some in Braille. Some are reading the history in material that's way above grade level, some on grade level, some way below grade level, some through pictures, but they're all learning American history. And then utilizing the arts, um, again, those kinds of uh, the creativity and flexibility that you have to use for instructional strategies with kids with disabilities, we found that they were engaging and meaningful to our students without disabilities, and particularly our talented and gifted students love the opportunity of using the arts throughout the curriculum, using technology, and if they were in the third grade, not just have to stay in the third grade level. They could work at the fifth grade level. They could work at middle, and they could read high school and, and even adult material. Um, and so that was important to them. And I, and I also think that having kids with disabilities in our schools, which the other children felt was very natural, helped children learn to be more helpful, to be compassionate, but also to have high expectations for everybody. Our kids with disabilities were expected to not only perform well academically, uh, to be involved in the school in, in terms of the plays and the shows, but to contribute to the school and to be helpful, both in their classrooms and the school as a whole. And, they, and we gave kids jobs and we, we stretched them there so that kids with disabilities are supposed to be contributors, trying hard, praising them for their efforts, having consequences for not doing a good job. And when other kids saw how the uh, student with intellectual disabilities or Down syndrome, you know, he had to stay after uh, school and didn't go out to recess because he needed to work more in his writing. Uh, and then he persevered and did something well. They, you know, other students weren't going to use the excuse, well, I don't feel like doing it or this is too hard for me or I can't do it or I don't want to do it. Bill, I'm curious, can you give me a snapshot of the disabilities movement and the pulse of Boston uh, back at the time when you were a teacher uh, many, many years ago, and then how it sort of improved? Yes, I think, you know, in the 70s, the, um, the legislation supporting persons with disabilities was just happening. So that um, 
frankly, if I had been born 10, 15, 20 years earlier, I might, I probably would have not even legally been able to have a job in some schools. And clearly there was no need or requirement that schools and um, would have to be accommodating to me or to other students. Some of our students that came to the O'Hearn School would not even have gone to some public schools. Some would have been kept in institutions or hospital programs, and those that would have come into schools would have been in the west wing or the basement and would have had limited access to uh, their non-disabled peers. So there have been a lot of changes, and there's a long way to go uh, still and because there's still far too many children who are three, four, five, and six for whom the experts medical and educational think that they have to start out in specialized programs and they don't get the opportunity to learn with their peers with the supports and services. But there are many more places where it is happening and that's what part of this book is about, getting some of the good news, the successful stories. As I'm very candid in the book, not every child made all the success we would like, but I think the vast majority of students, in our case, um, you know, all but one to two percent of our kids with disabilities, uh, did quite well in inclusive settings, and the students without disabilities did better in an inclusive program than they had in terms of their performance uh, before when they were in classrooms that were more homogeneous. Bill, I think what's really interesting about the way you wrote the book is that it's a series of sort of case studies that show how inclusion works. I'm curious, what was the process of writing this book and reflecting on all your experiences, and uh, was it something that was difficult for you? It's far more challenging being a principal, being a teacher, than it is writing stories. I just start out by writing stories. And, you know, and I think a lot of the stories sound as stories about myself, but many stories about different kids, and some which are humorous and some which have some tragic elements to them. Uh, certainly try to be honest and, and practical for people who are practitioners. They're going to like uh, looking at this book because they can relate to this. Is, this these are what schools are really like. So writing the stories was not challenging. I think um, fitting them into a book and, and into a story, uh, I really give credit. This is you know my first book, probably my only book, but it really credit uh, the folks at Harvard Education Press, particularly Carolyn Chauncey early on, an editor who gave me some guidance as to how they might go together and how I could weave and juxtapose my story of going blind and that struggle along with the struggle of uh, students who were also had disabilities and how their parents had to advocate for them to get to school and the efforts of talented staff and outside supporters in making it work. So I give credit to Harvard Education Press for their help in terms of making it into a book. Writing the stories was relatively easy. Bill, back to you being principal, how important was it that you also had a disability, as did so many of the students who were going there, say, if the principal, you know, didn't have any disabilities? Well, I think there are obviously tremendous educators and principals out there who don't have disabilities. I mean, it kind of partly made me who I am and, and shaped my character, um, and I, I think it made me clearly more sensitive, but I think I was also a role model so that, um, first of all, change kids' thinking and, and some of the stereotypes. I remember a young man from the Christian for the Blind coming to the school after school to help me on, on my Braille skills, and he used a long cane like, like me and was about my height. And one of our students wanted to know, 
not whether he was unemployed or not. The question they asked him, in what school are you principal? So the images and beliefs about the capabilities of people with disabilities change when we have inclusion. And uh, also, for a lot of students who had, uh, you know, who had print disabilities or struggles in schools, and I knew they were struggling with reading or writing, and they looked over at me, and uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't see the words or write with a pencil much at all. So I said, look, this is how I do it differently, and there are ways you can do it differently. And then they look over kids who are really struggling to walk and making efforts at um, communicating. I think uh, for those students who sometimes had some particularly learning disabilities and some emotional disorders, seeing other of their peers and seeing a principal who also had to, to learn to do things differently took away some of the um, embarrassment or, in their eyes, maybe the, sh the shame of, of feeling that they were different or not able of, to do things in the traditional manner. And I also think it was liberating to some of the children and typical children and, and uh, showing that there are really different ways that we can all contribute and be helpful and learn and progress. And that all of us, it's, it's about effort, it's about hard work, it's about good teaching and guidance along the way. But no matter how old we are, no matter uh, our backgrounds or what we know so far, we can all learn more and we can all contribute more. It's uh, incredibly inspiring. I, I'm really uh, interested in making sure that as many of our listeners know where to get the book and, and how they can also get the book if they're visually impaired and also where are the proceeds of the book going? Well, thank you, Matt, for asking that. And, and that's, I also said with Harvard Education Press, I wasn't going to um, even consider them for the book unless they were committing to themselves to make the book accessible for blind people and people with print disabilities. I met an, an old-time uh, professor who was at Boston University who helped us with family outreach, and because of his age and some vision issues, you know, he's not going to be a, reading for him is more of a challenge. So the book you can get through Harvard Education Press going onto their webpage, and they also have listed there a link for an audio version of the book, which can be downloaded onto on an MP3 player. Uh, and I, I use such a device to do a lot of my reading, and also with the help of Perkins, uh, the Perkins Talking Book Library, which were the folks who recorded the, uh, the book in human voice. The book also going to be available in Braille. And, um, you know, because the school, in a way, I helped lead the school, but the school also gave me an opportunity to be a principal and figure out how to include myself and include students. Uh, all the, um, all the, any proceeds from the book are going to the school, which is now the Henderson School, the O'Hearn School, located on the other side of the red line from Harvard Square in Dorchester. And that Henderson that it's named after is you, Bill. <laughs> right. It's, it's very humbling to me, and um, I'm very, very um, grateful and proud. So I think it was named after me, but it's also the Henderson Inclusion School. And I think parents wanted the name inclusion there to let other people know that they're proud of it, that it's something you can take for granted, uh, that we have to remember the history of the struggle for that. And there continue to be today, unfortunately, in the year 2011, um, some experts who think that people can't do something, whether it be autism or cerebral palsy or Down syndrome or blindness. Um, and I think we wanted to make sure that people know that, uh, yes, with the appropriate support services, the team effort, the collaboration. In most cases, yes, 
uh, the kids can. Bill, last question, and uh, thank you so much for being on the show. The last question is, we usually like to have a call to action for our listeners. And in this case, obviously, going and buying this book and learning more about yourself and your school, the movement is important. What, what's something people can do in addition to buying the book that will help the cause that you've championed over so many years? Well, I think right now we're in difficult times in our country in terms of our budget, and there's a sometimes a, a feeling out there that all tax dollars and all government efforts are, are somehow uh, wasteful, and it would be better if we didn't have the government involvement. And I, I would say for folks, find out in their own neighborhoods what are, what's happening in public education. See what they can do to support their schools. Find the good news and the good stories about the first grade teacher and the physical therapist and, and the teacher aide and, and the nurse and what they're doing. Uh, get involved in their local schools, uh, see how they can help and contribute, become informed. That's why we, I wrote the story so people can be informed about what inclusion actually is like. And, uh, and also why that's happening, um, you know, to be sensitive to and always ask, and how do people with, with different issues participate, you know? And that can be not just in schools. It can be church and faith-based communities. It can be at the local YMCA's and exercise. It can be at the supermarket, you know. Um, we were at a, a supermarket recently, and uh, my wife heard uh, somebody go up to um, one of the workers there and ask them where they could find, you know, some peanuts. And the worker said, my name is Josh. I am new here. I don't know where things are. If you want help, go ask somebody who has a rich And, you know, you could tell that the person had some kind of issues, my hunch is would be Asperger's and maybe with some delays and some kind of autism, but, you know, who knows? And the reaction, we saw two different customers. <coughs> one customer said, excuse me, one customer said, isn't this wonderful? The supermarket is employing people with disabilities and how good and how polite. But there was another customer who said, Wow, isn't that terrible? I thought people were supposed to be helpful here, and they didn't. That person didn't even help me. So we can train and teach kids with disabilities so that they can go out into society and work in supermarkets and at factories and in schools and at, at hospitals and universities. But if the folks without disabilities don't have appropriate sensitivity and positive beliefs and attitudes, it doesn't matter how much skills. And as the same way, it didn't matter to my eye specialist and the educational leader that I had degrees in training. They just didn't have that sensitivity. So I would say that people um, find out who in their communities has um, disabilities and just be natural and friendly, inviting, and seeing what they can do to encourage participation. Bill Henderson, I'm glad you didn't take the advice of that person many years ago and get out of education. We are lucky to have you. Tom Hare, even here at Harvard, refers to you as a true hero. Thank you so much for all you've done. Your book called The Blind Advantage, How Going Blind Made Me a Stronger Principal and How Including Children with Disabilities Made Our Schools Better for Everyone, available at Harvard Education Press. Thank you very much, Bill Henderson. And thank you for sharing good news about things that are happening in our schools. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.